Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast episode number 74. But the important thing to realize is when people are having those talks, when someone is truly an expert in something, they have the ability to understand that these discussions are so full of nuance and there is no one true version. Yes, very, very true. There are a thousand versions depending on who you talk to. So Brazilian Zouk, if you hear the history of Brazilian Zouk from Braz versus from Hanaka versus from even Jaime, Agilio, doesn't matter who you're talking to, Gilson, they'll all have a little bit of a different opinion on what happened where and in what city and when and who. Um, same thing goes for the evolution of music. Uh, all of these things, it's such a nuanced conversation. And it's a really big red flag to me when someone says, this is it. This is, <laughs> it. This is the one true whatever, because no, it's not. Because you weren't everywhere at one time, you know? <laughs> And it's just, it's not that simple when you're dealing with people and culture. And especially if you have an older dance where there wasn't recorded history of the dance as it was happening the same way that 100% now, you don't actually know what the true history was. Every time, every day again, you they blow my mind Welcome to the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast the podcast dedicated to inspiring dancers worldwide whose hearts have been touched by music and dance. The universal language of dance and music is spoken by many of us throughout the world. We want to motivate the dancer in you by sharing stories, insights, and ideas to enhance your journey. Join us now with your host, Charles Ogar. Hello, and thank you for joining me again this week for another podcast. As you can see from the podcast image, we're going to be discussing share shaming. I'm putting this intro at the beginning of the podcast to let you know that this podcast was recorded back in November of 2019, so pre-COVID. But like I mentioned in previous podcasts, I wanted to brush the dust off of some of these podcasts. And now that I have the time to dedicate to some more content creation, this is what we are getting, some more cool episodes. And this one is with the lovely and talented eloquent Laura Riva. I think you guys are really, really going to like this one. We go across a lot of different topics around this subject, and it was inspired by her blog, and that is in the show notes of the podcast. Enjoy. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast, and we are back again with the lovely, talented Laura Riva. And it's been a minute, huh? It has been a minute. Um, I think you've been really busy and crazy with organizing a lot of different things. Um, and I've also been busy and I know we've been talking like we need to do another podcast. Um, but, um, we finally made it happen. I had a weekend off this month in Austin. Um, it is the 17th today, um, of November. So it's pretty nice. And I'm glad that you also were not traveling, doing a Jack and Jill competition somewhere in North America as well, because I know that's kind of been kicking off for you as well. But it's definitely great to have you back on the show. And it's great to be back. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. And for this particular episode, um, it's very interesting because um, we just happened. I just happened to be scrolling on Facebook uh, and I has noticed that you commented under a particular video that was being shared and the scenario of the video was somebody sharing a video to kind of like basically communicate shame on you. If I see anybody else doing that, this is a disrespect to the culture of the dance that it's supposed to be representing and et cetera, et cetera. So um, as 
that went along. I saw that you commented and your comments, as always, were very respectful. And you just asked honest questions to kind of like say, hey, what is exactly what you are finding offensive? You know, and just kind of like asking general, honest, respectful I guess, uh, questions to kind of delve deeper a little bit into the topic. And that didn't go so well (laughs) in the comments, Um, but it inspired you to write this particular blog post. And I know we talked about it a little bit um, beforehand, and I'm really glad that you kind of like took that initial ball of inspiration and ran with it and created the article, which is really, really nice. And if you guys haven't heard it yet, it's going to be in the show notes or read it yet. Um, it just is talking about appropriation, shaming and online discourse. So um, since I saw after you already commented, Laura, um, do you want to like shed a little bit of light on what you saw? Sure. So, I mean, the article, I guess the catalyst would be that specific conversation, but it's certainly not the first. And I highly doubt it'll be the last time that we see that sort of sharing and interaction um, with specific videos of dancers. And it is a little bit of a dangerous thing for us to do from a standpoint of building a healthy and supportive uh, community. Um, and there's, there's kind of a few fine lines in that. Um, but on an overall kind of perspective, I kind of put it under the umbrella of what I call share shaming. Mm-hmm. It's basically you find this video of usually two people that you don't know, uh, and where you don't care about what people view you commenting on that video as, mm-hmm. uh, and then you rip them apart based on what you see in the video. Um, and even in terms of like beyond this one, bachata video, we saw it last year in the Zook community. Uh, someone from another dance took a demonstration of isolations from one of the top Zook couples in the world, um, took the video out of context, reposted the video so you didn't know what the context was, and then talked about basically how slutty our dance was. Hmm. Um, and that like there was no footwork and there was no this and it's just people like doing isolations and waves which was the entire point of the demo was (laughs) um and now obviously in that particular case it was outside of the community and although those people were ripping on it the zoo community as a whole was very quick to be like hey this is stupid. Stop it. Like if you even knew the pedigree of this couple you were commenting on and you knew how they actually dance when they are dancing with people, you wouldn't be saying this because it's so off base. It's not even in the realm of realistic attitudes. Mm -hmm. Um, But the problem comes less when you have that clear of a situation where you have a very good couple that is very well respected and the whole world respects them. What some like, person says on the internet is not going to have the same impact on that person as when you have an amateur or someone who is not so confident in their dancing and doesn't have the reputation and maybe not the same level of skill. If their video gets shared and slammed, they're probably going to be much more affected by that video. 100%. And that's what I kind of saw in this case. So in this case, it was, it was a younger girl, um, she was having fun with someone that she clearly knew at a social. Mm-hmm. They were smiling. They were having fun. Was it the best dance in the world? No. But I mean, like everyone except for one person has not the best dance in the world. So whatever. Um, was it the best technique? No. Was it even the best twerking in the video? No, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. But two people having fun in a consensual dance doing whatever. Um, and I thought that it was very mean for people to take that video and use it to ridicule and slam this person who was having fun in a social setting where you don't know what the setting was. You don't know who they were. Mm -hmm. You have no idea. And I thought it was extremely disrespectful and extremely mean to do that. 
And yeah, and I feel like like the whole purpose of sharing it was like this uh, theme of like self-righteousness, you know, like I have now have all of this information about the culture of bachata or whatever dance. And now I'm going to find these videos and kind of like share my um, my disgust for the particular video. But like the thing that you have to realize with everybody's journey is like you don't get all of the knowledge all up front when you first started dance, you know, like as you continue to travel and talk to more people and meet people from the culture, outside the culture, take classes, see more <laughs> videos, all these kind of things, your appreciation and your uh, knowledge of the history and the culture and all these things grows and, and it kind of enriches, yeah? But that doesn't happen off the bat. But I feel like it's very uh, interesting to reach that reach a level of knowledge that is like, okay, you've been around the scene for, let's just throw a number out there, 10 years. And now you're going to point your finger and laugh at somebody who just potentially started six months ago. Like, what was your knowledge base when you started six months ago? So it's just really baffling to me to see like, oh, they completely forget like, hey, this is the the path of knowledge. And it, you have to kind of like be a little bit compassionate with people who are just starting the journey who may not have all the information, you know? Mm -hmm. I think it even goes beyond that. I think there's two types of ways that you can lead in terms of being, for lack of a better term, a thought leader, mm -hmm. you want to call it that. Uh, and one is you can lead by inspiration and example or lead by ridicule. And if you're leading by inspiration and example, it means that you display the attitudes that you want people to have in the scene in a way that is positive and uplifting. So it's praising people where you're like, this is what I love to see in bachata. This kind of bachata exemplifies what I think the spirit of bachata should be mm -hmm. or, or the spirit of kizomba. Like how amazing is or you can turn around, you can take the things that you think are stupid or wrong or disrespectful and you can share them and you can be like, how terrible are these people? They suck. Look at what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Don't let me ever like see you dancing like that. You trashy, whatever. Yeah. Right. And so if I look at that, when people are sharing a video, let's say they're sharing the video with the intent of it getting them attention, mm -hmm. right? Want good attention. They're not going to post a video online of themselves if they are thinking it's going to get horrible negative reviews. Right? That's not the point. Correct. So if you show what you think are great examples of dance and those great examples and that upliftingness is what makes a video popular, people are going to try to emulate what they see in those videos and what they see these people who are getting the admiration and the respect are. If you share negative videos, people aren't going to stop posting videos. They may still try to avoid the things that other people got slammed for, mm -hmm. but what you're actually encouraging is other people to pile on to all the things they don't like rather than focus on inspiration. Mm -hmm. Develop a culture that is mean and cruel to a lot of people coming into the scene. And that is a really dangerous place to be because that's where beginners are ashamed to go out dancing. People don't feel inspired to grow. They feel afraid to do something wrong. And that's a mm -hmm. very fiction. And you can look at that even in the average workplace, right? If you look at successful companies that have a good workplace culture, people are inspired to do better, to do good things. They have reward systems for people to be recognized for their contributions. They have managers where they feel supported to grow in a positive way. If you look at negative workplace cultures, it's penalizing. People feel like their every word move is being watched. They're afraid to make mistakes. They're afraid to do things that will get them in trouble. Mm -hmm. So it's about not growth and especially in a hobby environment which is what dance largely is why are you going to do a hobby where you're afraid of making a mistake and having exactly. ridicule you you're not going to do that hobby you'll go find something else that's way more fun mm -hmm. and i'm going to say this publicly and i'm pretty sure there's some people that would agree with me out there for sure but i have recently started training in brazilian zouk and, and I've been teaching Kizoma for five years, yeah? And, and Zook's been around since then as well, as well. And in my opinion, 
I feel like the Zook community has been more welcoming over the last couple of years than the KISS community because I feel like we did have this culture of kind of ridicule. And I've talked to many, many students who dropped out of the dance because they were afraid of making a mistake or being afraid of not being good enough or being afraid of like somebody taking a video and then ridiculing them and things like that. And it doesn't help the healthy environment of the of the community, you know? And I feel like for that reason, um, many people that I've talked to recently over the past couple of months have seen the uprise of Brazilian Zouk in the States and in North America. And I think a large part of that is the welcoming vibe. Um, and obviously this training and like the amount of Brazilians that have been in North America over the past three years, that's another factor for sure. Um, but one thing for sure that I can say um, with a lot of confidence is that the, the welcoming vibe that you get in Brazilian Zouk is very nice and you don't see as much um, ridicule or, or fear of making a mistake. And I feel like, like you said before, it does inspire growth long term. I, Brazilian Zouk has its problems, too. I'm not going to. No, for sure. And I, and I don't want to pitch it that way either. Yeah, I don't uh, saying it's perfect, but there's definitely be. On a whole, I would agree with with your assessment there. Um, and I think that that shows in many places the amount of work that community leaders do to create a healthy scene. There's healthy pockets. There's unhealthy pockets. But on a whole, especially at the high level of pros, they really do care about growing the scene. And they are generally very accepting of the beginner. Mm -hmm. right? And they're not protective over the dance being done right or wrong as in some other styles. Do we still have our own debates about this is Brazilian Zouk, this isn't Brazilian Zouk, I wish people wouldn't do that? Mm, we definitely do. And sometimes it can get nasty. But on a whole, it's not as widespread as what I see some from some other dances. Um, and part of that, I think, is the proximity between the people who were there at the origin of the dance and who are steeped in its culture mm -hmm. and people practicing it in North America because Zouk went a very different way in some other places in the world than mm. it did in North America. And like this, this crosses over into a whole other debate. So every dance always has its like fight versus from the authentic versus the quote ripoff version of the dance, <laughs> um, which usually has to do with struggles about appropriation and white or colonial cultures altering the dance in some way to make it more palatable for a specific audience. And many times a lot of the advocates that you see fighting for the quote real nature of the dance are very far removed from the actual origin culture themselves. And people from the actual origin culture are not well represented in their views on what is or is not appropriation. So especially with like bachata, mm -hmm. um, most of the professional bachata dancers in the world are not Dominican. <laughs> They're just not. There are quite a few people who are Latino, but they're not Dominican. So do they have a closer proximity? Yes. But there's also a very large amount of bachata teachers and salsa teachers and growing now Zouk teachers who come from more of a white ballroom or colonial culture. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. And the idea that we teach the authentic thing and these other people are ripping it off. If you're in that context, you have to be very, very careful with that because it's not actually your culture. And unless you've spent a very long time immersed in that origin culture and speaking with and working with people from that origin culture, and you have listened to their views and worked with them and asked them how they feel about certain things, the chances that you are actually a good representation of that culture is very low. Mm -hmm. So, for example, even myself, I'm a white girl born in Canada. I've lived in Canada all my life. I'm teaching Brazilian Zouk. I've never lived in Brazil. I have not spent an extended time in Brazil with Brazilians. There are other white teachers who have done more of that than I have. Mm -hmm. 
I do try to spend a large amount of time speaking with Brazilians, understanding where the dance comes from and the origins of the dance. And I have to continually work on that. But I would never sit here in myself and have that righteousness in my own self of determining this is or is not Brazilian Zouk. There's things that I think are far straying from it, but I would always defer to someone who is from that culture to have a more informed opinion on that. I can still have my opinions, but I would never use those opinions to judge what is or is not truly Brazilian enough to be Brazilian Zouk. For sure. That makes a lot of sense. So I think that's that's something that people really have to be careful about. If you're going to say that this is disrespectful to dance's culture or this doesn't represent true whatever, if you've been dancing two years in North America, you don't know. You just you do not know this. This conversation is out of your depth. Mm-hmm. That and, makes and sense. You have all the love you can have all of the opinions on the world about about it. But there's just no way that being in North America removed from that culture, you can have a fleshed out opinion on what is or is not authentic enough. Definitely. You work at it. No, there's definitely something to be said with the origin of a particular culture when it comes to partner dancing. So like uh, Kizomba will be like Angola, for example, one of the polyp countries, obviously Brazilian Zouk, Brazil, Argentina, like a lot of people make the pilgrimage to Argentina and, and things like that. So they're going to these origins to kind of learn more about the culture and understand the dance from the origin, you know, um, obviously everybody doesn't have the means to always travel to the origin cultures. And that's why I feel like it's really awesome to like bring some of those people from the culture to different parts of the world to share their thoughts and their perspectives and uh, mentor other community leaders and things like that. And obviously you can see the thought that you put into that um, with your festival, uh, the Kainata Zoo Congress with so many different tracks and um, the lunch and learns with where you guys have what is it starts with the word D. You give talks or? Oh, so we we have um, lunch and learns during our festival that cover like the history of Zouk and mm-hmm. the history of music and things like that. Uh, Zouk music is especially important because it does help to clarify a lot of the problems that Brazilian Zouk has with appropriation mm-hmm. coming from uh, French Caribbean islands. Mm-hmm. We have our we have our own problem with that. Um, and I think that having that information come in is very important. They have some things that are similar in, for example, West Coast Swing. Robert Royston very often gives very important talks about the history and the background of West Coast. And I think those things are vital for the overall general education of the community. Mm-hmm. Um, but the important thing to realize is when people are having those talks, when someone is truly an expert in something, they have the ability to understand that these discussions are so full of nuance and there is no one true version. Yes. Very, very true. There are a thousand versions depending on who you talk to. So Brazilian Zouk, if you hear the history of Brazilian Zouk from Braz versus from Hanaka versus from even Jaime, Egilio, doesn't matter who you're talking to, Gilson, they'll all have a little bit of a different opinion on what happened where and in what city and when and who. Um, same thing goes for the evolution of music. Uh, all of these things, it's such a nuanced conversation. And it's a really big red flag to me when someone says, this is it, this is, <laughs> this is the one true whatever, because no, it's not. Cause and you weren't everywhere at one time, you know? <laughs> And it's just, it's not that simple when you're dealing with people and culture. And especially if you have an older dance where there wasn't recorded history of the dance as it was happening the same way now, you don't actually know what the true history was. You don't know what offends some people with the dance versus not. And people have to realize that. And if you're two years into it or even five or 10 years, and you have this idea that this is what happened and this is the only way that it happened you need to go and seek further information because you should be able to find more. And you can even, you can track down a dance historian in, in Zouk. Uh, Sydney did a whole thesis for her, her master's program on Zouk mm-hmm. and the 
of the zook and she went and she collected that knowledge uh there's a guy named forrest who did the same thing for swing dance families and if you talk to people who really actually know that history they have a general timeline of what happened that is generally agreed upon but the details vastly change depending on who you talk to that was there or left records yeah it's, it's such a uh, eye-opening experience and I feel like it reminds me of this one quote that says as the island of your knowledge grows so do the shores of your ignorance yeah so and I feel like a person that realizes that is going to like hey the more I know the more I realize I actually don't know and like you said, it is a red flag for somebody to come around and like get on a megaphone or beat their chest like, hey, this is it. This is the truth. Everybody else is wrong. I'm like, there's just too many pieces to the puzzle to put it all together. And like you mentioned before, like if it's not documented, it makes it really, really hard, you know, and this is I mean, we can go off on a whole nother tangent on like history of dances and the African influence and then taking a look at African culture versus European culture and all that fusion as well. Um, and then now how that creates kind of like this street style versus uh, studio style debate uh, that we're seeing today. Um, and then also, like, if we take a look at the word origin, like, I mean, if you keep going back centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries, like your history has a history. Yeah. So a lot of people, their scope, their historical scope only goes to like the initiation of that particular dance in their origin country. But like that country didn't even exist until a particular time. So that even has a influence as well, you know, so. It's just it's just not one conversation. There's so many nuances and things like that. And I feel like it's just very nice to be humble and be curious and continue learning because it's just going to help us understand and appreciate the dances even more than the need to be right and be better than someone, you know, mm -hmm. I think there's there's one other thing that you kind of touched in there that's really important when we're talking about these things, and that is our own biases and or biases and uh upbringing mm -hmm. so for example uh when we open the con the conversation into things like appropriation and personal taste we have to also consider things like racism sexism isms mm -hmm. uh colonialism all of these things play very deeply into this and even to this day people have beliefs and tastes that reflect the environment in which they grew up. And so, for example, um, this isn't aimed at anyone in particular, but this is an example. If you think about ballroom culture, ballroom has a terrible history of appropriating everyone's dances and repackaging it for a white audience. Samba, the samba, the salsa, if you take any of the ballroomized versions of those dance, bachata even, and you go back to the home culture, they're going to go, that's not what we dance. That's not the same thing mm. at all. Uh, this is a completely different, highly codified thing that was palated with white tastes of body movement. And they often took out the original body movement so that it all fit within the same Latin technique. So that when they did one dance, all they had to do was really transpose it into the other dances, but they didn't have to change people's body movement for each dance. But if you look at salsa Cuban motion versus how Zouk is danced and Samba is danced and how the hips work and how the core works in the actual dances themselves that originated these ballroom dances, the movement is different per dance. It's not mm -hmm. the same. In ballroom, it's all the same. It's all Latin technique with the same kind of hip, the same mm -hmm. kind of you have some slight differences, but the overall is fairly similar. Um, and it's really easy when you've grown up in an environment like that, or even if you're not a ballroom dancer, but you're used to watching ideas of movement that come from your culture, it's really easy to look at dance movements or visuals that come from other cultures or movement styles and think that they're trashy or lazy or whatever. Right. So and the, the most common kind of thing for this is black dances um, and the movements that come from black dances and the constant taking of black uh, cultural movements and dances to make them white appropriate. Mm -hmm. 
the, the studioization of hip hop and turning it into like, this is hip hop. Right. Mm-hmm. If you look at the culture and stuff of hip hop, it's extremely rich. It's extremely varied. And even when you get to dances like dance hall or twerk or whatever the dance is, it's really, really common that those dances in their original form before they were sterilized for white audiences, um, are seen as like, Oh, that's too sexy. That's too provocative. That's too ever because it's different parts of the body. It's a different stance. It's a different way of moving. But like, I mean, waltz was scandalous in the 1800s. (laughs) You just got more used to the movement, but your pelvis and your belly and everything is pressed together. And you want to tell me that that's more provocative than someone who's dancing solo, but is moving their hips a lot. Mm -hmm. It's, it's how you're socialized, right? Whereas if you're in a culture where contact is the issue, you might look at someone dancing solo, but provocatively and think that that's less scandalous than two people holding hands and dancing West Coast swing. For sure. Right. So it's, it's totally socialization. And it really bothers me when I see um, videos shared or movements deemed not classy enough or not appropriate enough just because it falls outside of what that person is used to seeing as okay movement or classy sexy versus trashy sexy Mm -hmm. and i mean like i even have to hark back to uh arthur murray uh made their own zook syllabus (laughs) much to the ire of zookers uh, including myself and i had to kind of check myself on that one later um but they they made a zook syllabus and i still remember when they first made it they made an article that they published about their journey to create the syllabus And one of the lines in this article was only Arthur Murray could take a sexy dance like Brazilian Zouk and make it classy. Wow. And I was just, my jaw was a little bit on the floor. I'm like, I can't believe you put this in writing. Like you went, you saw this dance that you thought was beautiful, but it wasn't classy enough for your students. So you had to repackage it in a way that was suitable for them. And we see this a lot. Right. And people don't they don't realize this. So the the movements that would be maybe fine or not considered offensive to the home culture or maybe it is a dance of flirtation in some cases in the home culture. And it's not always the sterilized like, oh, we're just social dancing. It's dance and nothing more. Exactly. Like you don't know the the home culture well enough. Bachata is a good example. Bachata can be flirtatious between two people in Dominican culture. I've danced in bars in Dominican Republic. I know how they dance. And sometimes mm-hmm. you're trying to have a special connection with a special <laughs> two friends who are just having fun. Sometimes it's a parent and child for sure changes drastically, but it's not this idea of like bachata is this high art form where you have two people. It has nothing sexual in it whatsoever. Exactly. It's not, it's like sometimes you dance bachata to get it on. And sometimes you dance bachata to be friends deal with it like for sure and it's interesting because i always hear like oh this is a family dance it's not sexy but like if you take if you think about it like the reason a family exists is because somebody has sex so (laughs) (laughs) it's like where are you in the sex cycle to reach to the family point you know but just because it's family oriented doesn't mean that there can't be attraction or flirtation or anything like that you know yeah and i think sometimes people get mixed up in their feelings because on one hand you can have a really real feeling of appropriation or this is not representative of our dance, right? So with bachata, with kizomba, it's it's a very fair thing that if you're taking something that was taken out of its home culture, moved to Europe, and then they made it this other thing, it's a fair thing to say, I'm not comfortable with how they used our origin dance. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not comfortable that they're calling this bachata. I'm not comfortable that this is how they're representing bachata because it doesn't have blank, blank, blank. But it's a very different conversation to mix up that feeling, that that very real feeling of discomfort with what the dance has become and then saying like, oh, well, our dance isn't about sex and this is, right? Because you don't know if it's about sex. It can be, it might not be. But almost all of the social dances that we do have some sort of interface with sex or seduction or flirtation in addition to also being something you could dance with your family. Mm -hmm. It's not one or the other. 
right? So it may not, the new dance form, you may say like, I dislike that all of the dances in this new style are all sexualized where I feel like the dance should have these different facets. That's a very different thing than saying these movements are not appropriate because they're sexual and our dance is not sexual. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, definitely. It doesn't, I mean, you see this bias like a either or it's either this or it's that. And that can go across a lot of different uh, ideas and thoughts, but I feel like being able to like, Hey, question, does it really have to be either this or that, or can it be both, you know, depending on the context. And I think we sometimes forget that. And we're so concerned with, we like dancing this way. We want everyone to dance like us. Mm -hmm. But of course, that's not, that's not the reality. Dance is not static. It's constantly evolving. It's constantly going to change. And the, the discussions about things like appropriation and all of these, it's totally fine to have strong opinions of it. It's totally fine to change those opinions as you get new information. My opinions now are not the same opinions I had 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's okay. That's allowed. That's part of growth. Um, but if you're going to have those opinions, think about them very clearly and be very open that if someone brings new information in or points out an inconsistency in your logic, instead of going like, how dare you attack me? I'm not blank. I'm not racist. I'm not sexist. I'm not blah, 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 blah. Sit there and be like, okay, what have they understood me? Or is there a flaw in my logical reasoning? Mm-hmm. Means I have to reconsider how I'm viewing something because I have these very real feelings, but maybe I'm misattributing them to something that is not the actual issue. Or maybe I'm taking out my anger on this particular thing, but that's not the actual reason for my anger, or I'm not communicating what I'm really well enough. And in all of those circumstances, I think that individual videos of people especially amateurs professionals is a little bit of a different thing because you can make a very valid argument about public figures misrepresenting things. And I don't think that they should be representing it this way, but especially with amateurs, I would say never ever take an amateur video of someone and share it with the intention of shaming them for bad technique, bad Mm -hmm. style being disrespectful because it's only going to cause harm. You can reach out and you can educate them if you really feel that passionate about it exactly but don't and shame them because that's not constructive. It's not kind. And at the very most, you're either going to make them defensive and resistant to change. And they're going to fight back and entrench in their ways mm-hmm. if they did nothing wrong, or you're going to hurt them and they're going to stop dancing and you're going to lose a dancer who's going to feel shitty about themselves and, and think then they're share bad. their story to other people. And now potentially that grows and prevents other people from joining that dance, you know? Mm-hmm. And you're teaching the people who think like you that instead of being respectful and kind in the way that they communicate, it's okay for them to take these things, share and trash. And always remember if you're ever saying something online, even if you think that you're a quote, nobody, in dance, the chances if you've been around for any length of time that there's at least one or two people who are following what you say is very high. Mm-hmm. The longer you've been around, the more better positioned you are within the community, the greater the chances that people are looking to what you say for guidance. And how you conduct yourself can directly impact how those other people then conduct themselves. 100%. And for me personally, Um, I'm not saying like, oh, I'm the most amazing person in the world. I have a blog. It's well known. I teach. It's well known. I organize. It's well known. So my overall reach and network is fairly wide. If I say something damaging, if I say something that hurts someone or I set a poor behavioral example, people are going to look at that and they're either going to like judge me and tear me apart or they're going to think that I'm modeling what's okay to do. And it's going to embolden them to act the same way. And I'm really, really aware of that. And I really hope that other people are too. Cause even if it's one person that you inspire, inspire them in the right direction, not the wrong direction, turn them into the dancer that you want them to be. And the person that you want them to act like rather than send them in the other direction. Mm-hmm. 
And I feel like, for sure, it's, it's so crazy. Like, the you can educate with kindness and compassion or shame them. And it's like, it, it seems like a no-brainer decision um, if you want to grow the scene that you want to keep them around and obviously they're lacking information, then you can definitely uh, inform them um, with respect versus going down this uh, route of, of shaming, you know, um, very interesting. I have a hypothesis on that, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to hear it. I think that the feeling of shaming someone and getting uh basically the support in that shame feels really good in the moment. Mm. Um, especially because you're interacting with an avatar, mm-hmm. you're not interacting with a real person. So if you share a video of something you think is bad and you say, Oh my God, ha 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 insert sarcastic biting comment. And then people like that and are laughing at that comment with you and they post their own comments with it and they're like oh my god ha 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 you're so right what a trashy bimbo or whatever it feels good because you're like yeah i'm i'm right i'm doing the righteous thing because i'm putting this person in their place but i guarantee you if that person was actually standing in front of you and you had your group around you doing the same thing and you could see their face as you said these things to them about their dancing you would not do that mm-hmm You would not do that because suddenly you'd realize this is a real person and it would take a pretty heartless degree of self-servingness to sit there and point and laugh at them. And you would get judged harsher for it. Definitely. But for the person receiving those comments, they're alone. They have no support behind them. They don't see support for them because all they see is your comment trashing them and then everybody else's comment after supporting you. And it's bullying. It's cruel and it's bullying and it can only hurt. Definitely. And I think we need to be very aware and check that thing where we're like, oh yeah, this feels good because I'm vindicated and I'm supported and channel it into something more constructive. It's more effort. It's harder. It's heavier work to do it the kind and the good way. And it doesn't always get the same kind of instantaneous, like clapping for you gratification. Yeah. Yeah. But on the long term, it's just so much better for everybody. I have this feeling inside that there should be like a hashtag against share shaming or something like that. Like hashtag stop share shaming or something like that, because I see it in so many dance scenes. And like, if we really want people to continue dancing, then it's like, this is just a behavior that we should really, stop because it's relatively easy to like not do um and just i don't know i feel like there should be some kind of movement or or hashtag around it or something like that i think there should be too maybe um i think it's also important to give people the tools to express real issues in a more constructive way Mm. um because i think part of this stems from people have frustrations they don't know where to put the frustration Mm -hmm. and how it comes out and I think as a community, we have to get a lot better at it's, it's not, you cannot say anything bad or negative Correct. because there are things that need to be said. 100%. How and the why, right? So if you have someone who's very dangerous to the community where you need to address, and I don't mean like dangerous as in like, oh, they looked at me the wrong. I mean, dangerous as is, and it's very well established that this person poses a risk in that kind of situation. A call out is okay. Like I'm not totally against that Mm -hmm. you're like attending a festival and you're like this festival did blank and they like did this thing i get it like it's it's hard because it's criticism for whoever organized it or whatever but it's a criticism of something that physically happened and it's about an organization or a professionalism element which is very different than taking and attacking a person for what they did in their personal expression And I think that that's a line that we need to take. So conversations about appropriation, sexism, racism, um, whether a dance has been changed for the wrong way, whether organizers have to get better, pros have to behave better. These are all great conversations as long as they're about critique, not criticism. Mm -hmm. So if I want to critique, a lot of events can get better at organizing and being on time. This is why these are the things that I see at festivals 
that make me frustrated as an attendee. That's a critique because I'm saying these concrete things are the things that are really bothering me. And these are the things that need to be fixed. But if I do the same thing and I'm talking about festival organizers and I'm like, oh my God, festival organizers are the worst because organizing these events for money and then they don't even bother to make them good. They're just stealing all of the money from people and pocketing it. That's not constructive. That's just mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's a very different feeling that you give the recipient because in one case they can be like, they can ignore it and they can stick their head in the sand or they can be like, Oh shoot. These things are bothering. Let me help to fix them. In the other one, it's just like this person's mad at me and I'm trying to do an event to make people happy and I'm not making a lot of money and this feels really unfair. Yeah, and for sure. So I think people really have to get better at doing that in a constructive way. 100%. So yeah, um, the third comment you made in the blog um, to continue our conversation forward was the, the sexy woman and how the sexy woman is perceived in our society. And that definitely has something to do with the with the twerk video that we saw. Yeah, the sexy girl is not really limited to any one thing. Um, but very often because the follow is the more demonstrative role. If someone's going to pick on a video, they'll usually pick on the follow over the lead. But if they're going to video, they'll compliment the lead over the follow, which is hilarious. Um, but I'm not saying always, cause there's always exceptions. There's always deviations from that, but it is a pattern that I've noticed in quite a few videos. Um, and a lot of the time the follow will get slammed, particularly female follows if they're too sexy for a dance. Um, and again, some of the, the critiques are reasonable. Like if they're doing like backflips and stuff like that, then like, it's like, well, this doesn't really reflect social dancing. That's a critique. Right. But if you go and you start talking about, Oh, what a hoary slut or whatever. Like I've seen some really vicious comments on girls and it's not, Oh, this couple is dancing too sexy because people don't generally call men whores and sluts, um, thoughts or whatever you want to call them. Those are, those Mm -hmm. are gendered terms, uh, by and large. And so what I see disproportionately is the women get slammed for being too sexy within the context of a dance while men, that sexiness is not as often commented on. Um, and it's a little bit of an imbalance and I do that it has, some roots that still are from the inherent inequality that existed in dance scenes for a long time and the policing of women's bodies. And I don't mean to say that people who are saying these things are intentionally engaging in sexism or putting down women or whatever, and they can think of themselves as very pro woman and very supportive in every other aspect of whatever that's, that's fair to say, but I think it's really, really important that if your default for a negative comment is somehow commenting on the girl being inappropriate or too sexy or too slutty, you need to examine that. Um, Because I don't think it's very often a fair way to go with a critique and it is very damaging and it does relate back to slut shaming and sexism and things like that, even if it's not intended to be that way. Um, and I think we're sometimes very resistant to realize that because we like to think of ourselves as, and I quote from my article, just woke, like woke, but Mm -hmm. it's not woke enough. So we see the same things, um, not only with comments on videos, but even in how people treat social dancers. So for example, the male dancer who is like, Oh, I'm all for women's liberation and wear whatever you want to the dance and dance however you want. And then they run across a a girl who doesn't like close hugs or like having their hair stroked. And they're like, Oh, it's just part of the dance. Like I'm just being friendly. Like I'm just a very huggy person. And Mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, yeah, but no, like if you're going to, 
sit here and champion that women can wear whatever they want, do whatever they want. You have to respect the flip side of that, right? Or if you're going to say like, oh, I'm all for boundaries and consent and women not being touched without their, their permission and stuff, you have to actually follow up on the backing off when they say no and not asking them to justify because you're just being friendly and things like that. So it's, it's a very complex thing. And we're very, very good at thinking we're good and throwing down anyone who brings forward something that challenges our view of how woke or good we are. Whereas what we do need to do is we need to step down from that and be like, I need to hear what they're saying. I need to, actually compare this and sometimes people may be off and they may make a critique that you don't think is actually in line with what you do or how you behave but the answer to that is not how dare you it is let me take this let me think about it can i do better here am i actually being a little bit hypocritical or is this in discord with my views and if you can't figure out if it is or isn't, you have to look a little bit further. Mm-hmm. And if you determine that it isn't, you should be able to quantify that. No, it's not against my view because blank. Or yes, it is against my views because blank. And if you haven't gotten to that point, the chances that you've actually fleshed that out enough is very low. Um, and it's it's a hard thing to do. I don't expect everybody to do it. And I don't think you should hate people who can't engage in that level of self-reflection because I don't think the number of people who can do that successfully are very high. Um, it's really tempted to be the the person who's pushy and being like, no, like you've got this wrong or like, well, did you think about this? Did you think about that? Like if you knew me, you wouldn't be like this, but they were given an impression. Take that impression, look at it see if it holds weight. If it holds weight, adjust your views. It's a basic scientific principle too. Like the truth is the truth until you find something that disproves the truth. Mm-hmm. You go and you have to test further until you have a new model and that new model, you, you think this is accurate until you get new information. And that new information says, no, this wasn't as accurate as you thought. And you have to see that over and over. And that goes both internally with who you are as a person and externally with your views on science or whatever. Definitely. I always love having you on the show because it, it, it I feel like my intellect, like is forced to like operate on a higher level that I don't get to, to to think in on a daily basis. And so, I mean, it's just one of the reasons why you're on the podcast, because I feel like these conversations should be recorded and documented and put it out there for the public to just kind of help um, the scene. Just just think a little bit differently and to question even um, our own selves and the way that we have viewpoints and why we have these viewpoints and being able to be okay with receiving new information and having a change of perspective. And it's okay. Like this is what we do. And it's kind of the natural way, like we operate as we receive new information, because like I mentioned before, we, we don't have all of the needed information from the beginning, you know? And I think it's really awesome to kind of inspire that kind of uh, thought processes, um, especially here in the dance community, you know? Yeah. And one thing, uh, just as a leave off for anyone who happens to be listening, um, even I struggle with the whole like, oh, I get information that feels like it should be offensive or difficult for me. And I have to sit back, take a deep breath and be like, okay, I need to synthesize this, not just throw it out because I thought it was terrible. Um, And if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I know someone who does just this and I hope that they listen to this and they fix, I would encourage you instead of thinking about all the people that you think could use it, I would encourage you to think about yourself and think about where that applies to you and where do you get defensive or sensitive about new information that you're hearing? Why do you have certain reactions to things? Um, and there's actually, there's a great comic by the oatmeal. Uh, so web comic that kind of goes through this in a very similar, uh, trajectory, not quite exactly what we were talking about today with self-examination, but in terms of accepting new information into how we view the world. And, uh, it's a great read and I would encourage people to do it, but it kind of gives insight into, um, the visceral emotional reactions we have to things that challenge us, including our view of ourselves and our environment. 
uh, when it's contrary to what we believe and what we view as central to our beliefs. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the name of that comic on the Omil? Uh, I, I can find it for you. It's it's been circulating for the last few days, so I can just find it. Okay. Um, and I'll put that link in the show notes so people can find that really, really quickly without having to go directly, uh, to the site. Um, but yeah, that'd be awesome to, to share for the users as well, you know? Yeah, for sure. Okay. So on this theme of, of self-reflection and new information and having a voice and, maybe not having all the information, being able to receive new information. I feel like that's a really good segue into the, the final section of your blog, um, which talked about civil discourse online. And I feel like, well, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go finish your thought first. Um, I was just going to say like, um, the I think you you brought up several times during our podcast that the way that we interact online, uh, like you said, with an avatar versus an actual person is different sometimes. And I feel like some people will definitely think twice or wouldn't do some of the things or say some of the things that they would online uh, to someone's uh, directly in person, you know, um, and I think before the podcast, you mentioned like maybe two people hate each other online and they get together in person and they hate each other in person and that's okay. Um, but then you um, brought it to a another kind of area, which I guess that'll be a good point here for you to, to share. Mm -hmm. um, so my, my personal policy is if I wouldn't say it to someone's face, I wouldn't post it publicly online. This doesn't mean you can't rant to your close friends about someone who pissed you off. Um, that's a normal part of venting as a human being, but venting to your personal friends in a controlled environment is very different from putting that out into the world publicly where it can actually cause damage. Um, and that's really important to remember. Uh, it has nothing to do with free speech. Like you can say whatever the frick you want. Like technically it's free speech. You can delete whatever you want on your page. You can post whatever you want on other people's public pages and they're free to delete that. Uh, I'm free to judge you on what you say. You're free to judge me on what I say. That's all fair game. But the question is not what are you allowed to do? It's what do you want to do and what impact do you want to have on the world around you? And you hear very often people are like, well, I don't care what people think of me. And if they think it's the wrong way, then they can go fuck themselves. Because, mm -hmm. you know, that's them. That's not me. And I can do whatever I want. Um, but it brings to mind a quote that I really, really loved that I saw a few days ago, uh, which was the people who say they're brutally honest are usually more interested in the brutal part than the honest part. And that brings up something. Yeah, you can do and say whatever you want, but do you really want to be cruel and unkind? Is that the identity and is that your legacy that you want to leave on the world? And mm -hmm. you can see it's not a legacy, it's an online comment, but all of that forms part of your legacy. People don't get a reputation often for one comment. They get an, a reputation based on a pattern of behavior. And every piece that you put into the world is part of that larger pattern that contributes to how people see you. And once that pattern is set a certain way, it's really hard to undo. And so you can either be the person where people see your name come up and they go, oh God, so-and-so is posting another ranty post that's ugh. Or you can be the person where, oh, so-and-so posted, they probably have something really useful to say or something really uplifting. Mm -hmm. um, there's a guy in the Zoop community named Mick Lee, and he constantly has these really, really positive posts. Like, name some dancer who, like, you had an amazing dance with or you just absolutely love dancing with. Like, who is your favorite follow? Who is your favorite lead? Who is Who made your day? Blah, blah, blah. And when I see his name come up, I get warm feelings because of this. I'm like, oh, this is probably a really uh, nice post. Like, before 
to reading. There's a guy in West Coast Swing named Randolph Peters who always has really funny, sweet, smart jokes and stories that he posts. And I'm always like, oh, I'm excited because I see his name come up and I want to read this. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel happy. It makes me have faith. And then there's other people where they post and I have to quell my irritation because I'm like, oh, no. What is it this time? Mm -hmm. What are they saying this time? Who are they offending? Who are they hurting? And it's up to you how you want people to view you and how you interact determines that. So be kind, be reasonable, think about what you're saying. And a thing that can sometimes come in very useful is if you're having a different, difficult conversation, have the difficult conversation. That's fine. I have a problem not posting and arguing online. It's pathological almost. That's why I have a blog. Um, I just can't keep my mouth shut. People know. Um, But part of this is that I really try hard and people may have varying opinions on how well I succeed, but I try hard to not use inflammatory language. Sometimes I fail. Sometimes my emotions get the best of me. But if you've ever worked in a tribunal environment or a decision-making environment or arbitration or law, people are very careful with what they say and whether or not it will inflame or cause more conflict with other parties, right? Um, And if you can get away from inflammatory language, like saying, you are blank, you are blank, you are this, you are that, you are terrible, you are great, um, that's all inflammatory one way or the other, right? If you say something along the lines of, this type of post seems unreasonable to me or unkind, or I feel like this could have been said in a way that was less hurtful, or are you sure that this reflects your views on blank or I'm not like, it makes me feel really bad that this is how you view blank. These are all ways to reduce conflict and to bring people back on side. So if you can resist going after the person and stick to the view. There's still some people who will get offended no matter how much you stick to the the issue, not the person. Mm-hmm. But by and large, you can diffuse a lot of people. And you know you're really good at it when people start attacking you back and you manage to reroute the conversation from being about attacking each other and upping the stakes in that way. And you can reroute it back to the issue that they left with inflammatory language. That's when you know you've really got the hang of it. It's really easy as long as no one is escalating it. It takes way more effort to de-escalate it once someone's bringing it up. Yeah, that makes sense. So that's that's my two cents on it. For sure. Um, so yeah, I'm really, really glad that we had this time to talk about um, this particular blog that obviously outstretches a lot of different topics. And obviously we have a limited amount of time here on the podcast. Um, but I feel like these conversations are super, super important, um, which is why I feel inspired to put the work behind the podcast, just to put out another medium to share those same thoughts um, that you share and then that we agree on or disagree on. It's all fine. And I feel I really love the comment of what kind of legacy or what kind of reputation do you want to give the community or leave for yourself? And I feel like that will allow you to to like second guess or just take a look, a closer look um, at what it is that you're trying to say and what you're inspiring from people. Like what do you want people to think positive things when they Uh, see your name or just remember like complaints and things like that, you know? And like I said, saying that like, oh, you can't be negative. Like, of course, there's always going to be room for growth and some things need to be said if there's a risk or a danger or something that can be done better to improve. Like these are all valid conversations. So we're not saying, oh, no negative talk means you can't talk about these things. Um, However, like the way you go about doing that and like you said before, like being inflammatory versus being uh, constructively um, with the feedback or whatever, it definitely gives a different vibe, you know, and a different way for the recipient or the community to, to receive that information, you know? Yeah, I agree. Do you have any other closing remarks? I think that's about it. Sweet. Um, so if you're listening, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you're interested in reading the blog, you definitely find the link in the show notes. If you want to find Laura, she, her contact information will also be in the show notes as well. And 
I will be seeing you this upcoming weekend, Laura, in Toronto. I'll be teaching there for Kids in the Six, and I'll try to drop into your Zoom classes on Sunday. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, Laura, thank you so much for your time. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for checking out the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast today. Be sure to check out neokizomba.com for links to everything that we chatted about today, as well as some awesome free resources to enhance your Kizomba journey. Would I still drive you crazy? Yeah, yeah. If I not get the money, yeah. Will you still call me up, baby? Oh, baby, oh, Say it.